Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The New Orleans Saints may not have to go play overseas for the 2023 season. That is a good thing. But the schedule in general. Six of the first ten are on the road. And they get not one but two Thursday night football games. Not optimal. But there are some good things about the schedule. We'll talk about it next. Right here on RP3 and Company, I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts the Third, and I'm back inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Joining me is the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlo. We got a jam-packed show for you today. Going to be talking Raging Cajun softball, McNeese softball. That's all coming up. We're going to be diving into the NBA playoffs. We also have four guests. Darian Dukes, the Acadiana Cane Cutters skipper, will be joining us half an hour from right now. We didn't force him to come on at 6.30. My man says, I want to come on at 6.30. So we oblige. It's what we do here on the company. James Yasko, Lima Time Time podcast, will be joining us to talk all things Astros. Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser. He'll tell us Raging Cajuns baseball, softball, and give his thoughts about the young men leaving the program after spring football. And then we'll talk NBA playoffs with a man who covers the association for Bleacher Report, Dan Favali. That's all on tap on this Friday edition of the show. But first and foremost, good morning to you, and good morning to Dawson Iserlo, D-Lo. Yeah, it's going to be a good day. We um, we had some technical things behind the scenes. Got it. We got it figured out Boom. within the first five minutes, though, so that's progress here. You, you got your iced coffee today. Yeah, yeah. You're ready to go. Yeah, no, and you know, it's like I have, I make my own coffee usually, but every once in a while, you know, and actually it's funny because I had to get up a little earlier to make sure I got over there and got my coffee in time, but I wanted to get a special, you know, treat for myself on a Friday. Oh, treat yourself, it's Friday. So I went ahead and got me a, a nice little special coffee from a, from a local coffee shop, and um, yeah, we're on with the day. <laughs> on with the day. Finally get the schedule released. We had to drag that out until 7 o'clock. Shout out to the NFL. Saints schedule is now set. What we will not be doing, we do not do the predictions. There's a couple things we don't do on this show. Other shows do it. We don't do it. We don't have goat debates. Okay? Something we do not do. It's not tolerated. 
and we don't do schedule predictions. Now, if you want to say, hey, I the schedule, I feel like this team has the talent to maybe win nine or ten games, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But breaking down week by week, when you have no idea what your finished roster is going to look like, when you have no idea what type of injuries are going to happen, not to mention the whole thing of doing that, the exercise, if you will, is futile because the NFL continues to show you year after year that you making predictions with the schedule is dumb because nearly half the teams in the playoffs aren't in the playoffs the next year because there's that much parity in the National Football League. So we don't take part in that exercise here on RP3 and Company. It's not what we do. So we're not going to waste your time. And more importantly, I'm not going to waste Dawson Islow's time. Nor my own. What we will do is look at the schedule. And I do have some thoughts. I do too. I'll let you go first. I like opening up against Tennessee at home. I like the fact that the Saints actually get a true home game to open up the regular season. That's a plus. I also like the fact that they go play a divisional game right off the bat in week number two. I'm okay with that. I'm also okay with them going to play Green Bay for a couple of reasons. A, it's not going to be the frozen tundra, one. Two, we still don't know what Jordan Love can and cannot do, and this is going to be early in the season. So you're going to face the Packers, who are in a bit of a, I don't want to say rebuild, but it kind of feels that way. They're going to be trying to find themselves, and it's going to be week number three. They're in we'll see mode. Thank you. Very good description. Then you come back home, you got Tampa. You have no idea what Tampa's going to do. None. So I like this. I like there's parts of the schedule that I enjoy. What I don't care for is that six of the first 10 games are on the road. Actually, it's seven of the first 11 after because after the bye, you got a road game as well. Yes. I do like where the bye is placed. I'm always a fan of having the bye once you get to double-digit weeks on the schedule. So I like the placement of the bye. But seven of their first 11 weeks, the Saints are going to be on the road. Gross. Gross. I'm just, and they've decided to do them the great favor. I, I just knew they were going to do this to them. <laughs> After we found out they weren't going to be playing in Europe, I thought to myself, I wonder if they're going to give them extra Thursday night football games now. And sure enough, that's exactly what they did. Jacksonville in week seven inside the dome. Look, you got some guys on that team that Jacksonville seems to be an ascending team. I get it. That could be an actually a decent game. But they gave them two Thursday night games. Not only do you have the Jacksonville game, but you have to go and play at the Rams in week 16 on a Thursday night. Now, you have no idea what Los Angeles is or is not going to be, but I digress. So the two Thursday night games I don't care for. I don't like the fact that there's seven of their first 11 weeks they're going to be on the road. I do like the fact that the Giants will be at home. That'll be at the Superdome in December. Once again, don't have to deal with the elements. 
and I don't mind finishing off with the Dirty Birds inside the Dome. So you open up the regular season, Dawson, at, at home. You end it at home. I like that. I like that being bookend that way. And for once, it's not the Carolina Panthers, which seemingly was the regular season finale opponent every single year. So now it's the Falcons. So you get Green Bay early. That's a plus. You have the Giants at New Orleans instead of being in the Meadowlands late in the season. I like that. I like opening up home and then finishing the regular season at home. But seven of the first 11 weeks on the road, that stinks. And having not one but two Thursday night football games is pub on. Yeah, no, I, I didn't even. I mean, the Thursday night thing is is awful. Of of course, they changed that rule. It's, I don't know. It, it that's that's the one rule too where you you know with the NFL's like actual emphasis on you know player safety and things like that. I, I really didn't think they were going to change that rule, so that that surprised me. But. Four days after they played the Giants on December seventeenth, four days they have to go play the Rams. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. a Sunday turnaround play on a Thursday deal, like. Right, no, it, it, and so that's just the Thursday night games. I mean, you know, that's that's the other funny thing too. It seems you could, like, but you could avoid that. You could avoid that. Are you telling right. me that the scheduling people can't just figure put it out? After buys. I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. get why they don't. If, and... if <laughs> thank you, that, that, that's all you got to do. <sighs> but anyway, and that's another thing too. It just feels like you know the NFL. I wouldn't say they listen to the consumer all the time, but like it feels like you know they they've they've done a, a somewhat okay job of doing that in some regards. And then, but like, who's asking for more Thursday night games? I don't know if anyone is. And but, Amazon Prime, who gave yeah, them I a bazillion so. dollars, that makes sense. But um, <laughs> that's that's who. No, I think this is an all time opportunity as far as the schedule. And again, like it's it's silly to sit here in May and tell you and say you know this is an easy schedule, but like. Honestly, the road games early in the season, I get it, but also that means you're going to have a lot of home games down the stretch when you're trying to jockey for position, and I think that's good. And also, I think the Saints, they're pretty veteran groups still, right? Now, there's certainly some new faces, and Derek Carr's got to get things figured out, but I trust a veteran group like this to go on the road early, uh, as opposed to a team like, let's say, you know, Green Bay, that's got a lot of new faces trying to figure things out, and a young quarterback. Like, Derek Carr's a guy who's not going to be rattled to go on the road early in the season. Correct. So I think this group is maybe built to handle that a little bit more. And also, I mean, look, the schedule in general, you saw it there. I believe I saw second least winning percentage, the second lowest winning percentage of teams of this you know set schedule of the, those teams last year. Atlanta, the only team with an easier schedule in that regard. Um, and now, look, part of that's because everyone in the NFC South gets to play each other twice. That helps. That's and, part of it. But the other thing about it is, in the division, the Saints presumably got better. I mean, we, we at least think so. I think the, the the consensus is that they did some moves, you know, made some moves to get better. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else in the division got better. Maybe Carolina, but I think more long term than short term because of the rookies, you know, and you know having a young rookie quarterback. Um, Tampa, I'm not quite convinced they're headed in the right direction, and Atlanta certainly has a lot of things to figure out. So, all those things put together, your cross division matchups, the AFC, what is it, the AFC South? AFC South. Not great, right? I mean, isn't it funny now we're looking at Jacksonville as the consensus favorite in that division after last year we thought they were going to be the worst team in the league? Now, not to say they're not improved. And again, Jacksonville was a lot better than we thought they were going to be last year. So obviously some of those teams could be better than we think they're going to be. Tennessee could bounce back. Yeah. How about this? Another thing, I don't know if you mentioned it. The last seven road games of the season for the Saints are either played indoors or there's one in Tampa. So you're not going to go to you're not going to have a, there's a good chance the Saints don't play in cold weather all season. Correct. Unless Tampa's, you know, a little 
chillier than usual in December. Uh, I mean, that's the only chance you have to play a cold weather game in the second half of the season. Unexpected blizzard, hurricane, sharknado happens on New Year's Eve. Yes. Right. And we might have other issues in football if that's uh, that's, the case. That's, so. <laughs> yes. Yes. If it's a Roland Emmerich movie come to life, yes, that would be. And we'd be having bigger issues than worrying about playoff positioning. There's huge question marks on the schedule. You have no idea what the Rams are going to be. Once again, they won the Super Bowl two years ago. What are they going to be this year? You have no idea. Aaron Donald's coming back. You still have Cooper Cup. You still have Matthew Stafford. But I don't like any of the moves they made. So you have no idea what's happening with the Rams. The Giants are a playoff team from last year. You play them late at your place. But was that a fluky one-year thing? By the way. We don't know. You talk about NFL schedule makers. How about what they did to the Giants? That is unreal. What is it, seven road games in the first nine games of the season? Yeah. Not, I mean. Not not awesome. Not, not that awesome. It feels like what, does, what, what usually happens to the Saints happen to the Giants. It did, does feel that way. I mean, that is brutal. Now you get Detroit, who nearly made the playoffs a year ago. They're an ascending team. But Detroit always finds a way when we think they're ascending to shoot themselves in the foot. You get them at home, to your point. I have no idea what Minnesota is, and the Vikings have always been the bane of the Saints' existence. A lot of people are expecting Minnesota to fall off the face of a cliff this year. They feel it's finally going to happen. But it feels like we've been saying that for four years. So they are a, uh, They're a prime candidate for win regression, I would say, uh, based on an l- unbelievable amount of, sh- of close game luck. And you can look at the history of it. That's one thing, you know, I don't know if I'll agree with with Kevin Foote and call it the Piper. Oh, there we go. But uh, history tells you teams that win close games at the rate that the Vikings did last year can't repeat that type of situation. It's just because the NFL, there's not as much that goes into winning close game. Yeah, you can be good in, in in crunch time situations, but it's the NFL and everybody's professionals, and you just don't win close games at that rate. So the Vikings in theory, have to be significantly better than they were overall as a team next year just to repeat the record that they had last year and or be close to it. So I, I think Minnesota's going to be uh, dropping off. But, hey, they retooling that offense. They keep just pouring assets into the offense despite not being able to stop anybody. So They still have Jefferson. Yeah, and they and they added uh, they added <laughs> they added offense, though. And that's So, again, you're talking about a team where I sit there and go, look at the moves they made. Okay, they, they added more receiving help to an already really good receiving core, but what do they have defensively? They just can't stop anybody. Yeah, they're so. just like, we're not, we're not, we don't care about defense. Bears, that's a tricky game because I expect Chicago to be better. So, look, and here's the other thing. They do get the Monday night game in Week 2 at Carolina. I'm surprised that they decided to go Saints-Panthers Week 2, but I guess that's their way of getting Bryce Young in yeah, prime and that's time. Was, well, and I was going to say, I mean, that could be Andy Dalton at that point, right? And is, do we really well, want that in prime time? All the reports are it will be Andy Dalton, and so we—that's what we want. NFL, <laughs> the new flex scheduling for Monday Night Football doesn't apply to Week Two, so we're we're getting that one no matter what. <laughs> but you know what I see? The other thing that I like about this schedule, you know what I really like about this schedule, Dawson? We'll wrap it up with this: noon, 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 noon. Noon. Yeah, and of course some of that... Noon, noon, noon. I got a whole lot of noon games. All their games, with the exception of the two Thursday night games and the Monday night football game, are all slated as noon kickoffs. And that's 
also going to be subject to flex scheduling down the stretch. But Correct. yeah, certainly surprising that they don't have at least a random kind of three thirty start time game in there. So I'm down for that. I have no problems with noon kickoffs. I'm a big noon kickoff guy. So there you go. Saints schedule. It's out. It's interesting. Don't love all the road games. And of course, Thursday night football is well, we don't even have to begin to have that conversation. Ugh, gross. But it's out, and now you can make your plans accordingly. We got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, Raging Cajuns took on the Warhawks for the fourth time in a week. They got the best of their in state rivals and moved on at the Sunbelt Conference tournament. We'll talk about that next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I really thought uh, we said in the 15, if one runner gets on, we'll go to Kendra. You know, one more runner. The first base runner in the sixth and seventh. I really wanted to get Kendra in just to give her that, get her out there, you know, and she's done so good in the closer role. And save save a few less pitches off Sam for later in the week. But, you know, she was just cruising. And so she didn't allow any base runner. There wasn't any reason to make a switch. So that's kind of how that played out. And I thought – I thought she did. She got much better the last three or four innings. I was really proud of how she had made that adjustment. That's Raging Cajun softball coach Jerry Glasgow <clears throat> talking about Sam Landry's performance last night as the number 24 ranked Louisiana Raging Cajun softball team uh, won a hard-fought game against ULM 3-1. to one. And they got tested a little bit here, which is not necessarily a bad thing in the quarterfinals of the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Landry pitched seven innings, gave up two hits, only one run, struck out seven. She retired the side in order the final three innings. So that was the type of performance that you were hoping for. They also got some timely hitting. Jordan Campbell came to the game as a pinch hitter in the fourth inning. After Maddie Hayden uh, drew a leadoff walk, and Campbell promptly delivered a triple that hit the wall in right field, bringing home Hayden with the tie-breaking run, which was key. We knew that this was not going to be a walk in the park because we know how capable ULM was, and they just played them. So some people are going to go, "Wow, they only beat ULM three to one," and I'm like. First of all, it's a conference tournament, so win in advance. That's the only thing that matters. And the second thing is they literally just played an in-state rival. So you knew that they were going to get their best. Like, it's win or be eliminated here. You're going to get everyone's best here. Yeah, and, and That's a, how it works. And Monroe, top 125 in the RPI, so not an elite team, but certainly not uh, not anywhere in the – again, there's 300 softball teams, so better than average team based on the uh, based on RPI. The win gives the Raging Cajuns, extends their Sunbelt Tournament win streak, which dates back to 2019, to now 12 games. 
and it's the program's 70th all-time win in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. So some pretty big milestones there. They will now be playing in the semifinals, which will be tonight at 7 o'clock when they take on Texas State, which should be a little bit more of a competitive and a little bit more of a daunting challenge than ULM was. We've asked this before, and we'll have a discussion here again. We believe, you and I are in agreement, that they have to win the conference tournament to host a regional, to even have a chance, right? Um, I, I don't think they should have to, but I think uh, that oftentimes committees look for any opportunity to not give teams like UL hosting sites. So if they had that data point to use, I think they'd use it. Um, I, 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 I agree. I think making it to at least the – let's say worst-case scenario happens, they lose tonight. Yeah, I think I think that'd be held against them. The funny thing though is, even if they lose tonight, Texas State's the the best RPI team in the conference, other than you. So Correct. you actually probably wouldn't drop any lower than ten or eleven anyway. Even Correct. if you lost tonight, that's that's the funny thing about it. But, but again, you're giving the committee right other, a reason, right? right? You're opening the door for them not to award you a regional, and and that's the thing that you got to be kind of careful with there. Uh. The conference, all conference teams came out this week. I thought the Raging Cajuns were well represented, right? Uh, they had two of the big award winners, correct? Um, but yet, some believe that they were disrespected because no pitcher made first team all Sunbelt, and Jerry Glasgow discussed that after last night's game. Takes a bunch of really good players. Uh and we got we got a really good bunch of players. We also got good pitching. I, I want to say this: I, I I think we didn't get any pitchers on first team last year or this year. To me, that's that's a travesty. You know, you don't win, you don't go twenty and two in a conference without a first team pitcher. And and we you you know we were eight out of nine against the big three last year: Troy, Texas State, and um, South Alabama. We swept we swept South Al this year. You know, Lackey's pitcher of the year, but if you look at the record, where she's 0-7 against Louisiana in her career. And so I think it's a really a slight to our pitchers, and that you, you, you bring that up, you bring that, you put that in your pitcher's mind, put that in your team's mind, and you use it to motivate you um, as you go into this tournament now. Okay. I travesty a travesty like okay I get you want to vouch for your team a travesty that they didn't get first team honors that's the words we're using here when you got the freshman of the year and the player of the year and that's the 18th time that they've had the player of the year since 2000 like is it really a travesty that one of the Raging Cajun pitchers didn't earn first team honors? Really? A am I missing something um, here? I mean, I look, it's it's a coach who knows that a players care about those things and um, they help your recruiting certainly uh, as far as trying to go and get more elite pitching and I think I mean his point is well received like how do you I think, and again, this this comes into a little bit of, you know, 
voter fatigue in situations like this. Coach Glasgow not receiving Coach of the Year every year, I think, is is another thing. Now, I think Coach of the Year is a little bit more understandable because you go, well, once they're a powerhouse, it's like the same reason Nick Saban's not going to be the Coach of the Year in college football every year. They win a national championship. And a lot of time, Coach of the Year's uh, awards go to coaches that have made a like uh, tend to make a big difference. A marked improvement, right. Right, a marked but, improvement. But he did have two pitchers get second-team honors. Right, yeah, I, and I, but I would get, and again, I don't mean travesty, I mean you're getting into the semantics of, of the word he used there, but I think... Words um, matter. Yeah, well, that's the word he used, but, um, you know, and, and look, Coach Glasgow will tell you how he feels. There's no, there's, he's not going to mince words about things. So I do think it is kind of silly, um, and, and if, I'll say this, if all the coaches had to pick one pitcher to win him a game, I don't know if they're picking. What, what do you? What did they have? Three pitchers on the first team, or four pitchers on the first team? I don't know if they're picking uh, those four over any of the UL pitchers if they had to go win a game themselves. That's fair. That. That's fair. But I'm going to break it down for how this happened for you. I'm going to educate everyone listening. The coaches pick. The Cajuns have two really good pitchers. That's why they're both on the second team because one of them didn't get enough votes to be on the first team, Dawson, because. Half the league's coaches said, well, no, that one girl's the best pitcher they have. And the other half said, well, no, she's the best pitcher they had. And because of that is why they're on the second team. It's not a travesty. It's actually a compliment that the rest of the league said, you have two great pitchers, but they were divided on which one was the better one. It's not as if they all got together and said, oh, let's insult the Raging Cajuns. Oh, while we're at it, we'll go ahead and give them the player of the year. And the freshman of the year, too. You understand what I'm saying? Like That's how that goes down. I've been in all-state meetings where you have to put together teams. I've been in all-Louisiana meetings and been all-conference meetings when you've had to put together teams. That's what's going on here. There's not, like, that's... So how come you didn't vote me for all-state back in 2017? (laughs) My numbers were right there with everybody. Right there. That's what I'm saying, like... The, the reason why they're on the second team is because, unlike some of the other teams in the Sunbelt Conference, they have two really good pitchers, right? So they split the vote. That, that, that's what happens. That's what happens. If they only had one great pitcher like they did for a couple years with Summer Ellison, what happened with Summer? She got first-team honors, right? Right? Yeah. Because she was the only thing they had. Well, Jerry doesn't have to rely on just one girl to go out there and be this team's ace. He has multiple. Well, that helps your team, but it's going to hurt you in postseason honors because you don't have the one that is the clear-cut number one pitcher. If they had one of those girls be the clear-cut number one, they'd be on first team. That's how this works. And also, I think let's also keep in mind Coach Glasgow mentioning it there, and I think – He's implying it too. Having Sam Landry last night go out feeling like she got slighted about being first team, that's oh, not sure a bad thing. I'm sure, yeah. And Megan Chorman maybe the same way. And if that helps them pitch a little bit better here in the postseason run, then you'll trade that for uh, for, a, for a better postseason performance, I'd say. They'll pitch Megan tonight, right? Is that? I would assume so. Yeah, that would be my, my no, best and, guess. And they're going to leave Kendra for the conference tournament to close things out if need be. Yeah, I would I would, I would assume Kendra out of the bullpen. I would assume you go either Megan or Sam, probably Megan depending or... on the matchup, if they get to the championship. On Saturday. Just, just how they feel about it. Yeah, and, and I mean, again, also you – Let's not forget you have Chloe Riosetto matchup wise. They like her against lefties, and then you have Carly Heath if need be. So they do. So the difference between having a full pitching staff, it's weird. We're not used to talk. It's usually we're gonna throw Summer out there or whoever it is, and we'll see how she does. Now you have options. And that's why they don't have a pitcher on the first team all Sunbelt. 
but they is going to make their team better and better prepared to make a not only a tournament run but a regional run. But Raging Cajuns move on in advance. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Katie Anna Cane Cutter's season is right around the bend, and we'll talk to the skipper, Darian Dukes. He'll be joining us next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Acadiana Cane Cutters won the Texas Collegiate League Championship last year. And they'll be looking to bring home the hardware yet again as they're ramping up for their summer season, which will be taking place here in just a few weeks. And to join us to help preview the season and talk about what they have coming back and what the expectations should be for the team that plays at Fallbacher Field, here in Acadiana, is the man who's entering his third season as the skipper of the Caden Cutters. Head coach Darian Dukes joins us now. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So, the season's about to begin. That's just around the bend, and no time at all will be here. So, walk us through your process right now. How's how are you getting ready for the season? Are you still constructing your roster? Are you still talking with young men that are playing at the collegiate level and trying to secure guys a roster spot? What's going on right now? Well, right now what we're doing is um, we've got the roster pretty well, pretty well where we want it. You know, we got we got some guys that are going to be here the first half, can't play the second half. Um, you got to work around school and all that, all that stuff. Um, right now, really, we're just looking at stats, trying to figure out, you know, get an idea where we're going to place people, um, you know, um, start rotation, closer, that type of stuff, um, who can run and who can't. Because right now, all it is is you're looking at, you're just looking at stats, trying to get an idea of, of you know, where you're going to bat people who could hit. You know, it's just, it's, we're just now getting into um, talking to people, letting them know, you know, when to report and stuff like that. It's it's kind of a wall because you've gotten you've gotten rid of, you've gotten through with all of the um, the hard stuff. Now it's just a late game. Well, you you have got to jump on things, right? You're already bringing back. We know for a fact you're bringing back at least six guys from last year's championship team including the returning pitcher of the year, uh, the freshman from Arkansas Tech, John Gray, as well as uh, a host of others. How important is it uh, to be able to have some of those guys from last year's championship team be able to return and kind of help lay the foundation for what you guys want to do in 2023? Well, it's it's real important because some of these guys have never experienced um, 
not having a coach stand over and go, all right, you need to go out there and do this, this, and this. Um, you need you need to be here. You know, um, you need to take care of your business on the road. Some of these guys that are coming back are able to teach these kids, um, you know, how to handle themselves. And basically what it is is a pro baseball um, atmosphere. What's the biggest challenge when you're putting together the roster? Because, look, you're not going to get these guys. Some of these guys won't come to you until late in the process. Uh, you're not going to be able to have, right, you know, three weeks of practices with your entire team. Some of your pitchers are going to be held on pitch counts because of restrictions from their college teams. So how much of a challenge is it being able to put together an actual roster for the season, Coach? Extremely difficult, um, and not so much of getting players. It's it, you know, it's getting the right players. Our owner, Mr. Richard, does an unbelievable job of you know getting players, getting players in. The biggest challenge is, like you just said, is dealing with the pitchers and who can throw this many innings, who's let loose. Um, who do you have to – so like last year, John Gray, we only had 50 innings the entire summer wedding, and it got down to the last two in the championship game. I mean, that's how that's how much we have to manage the pitching staff. That's the biggest challenge right there. The pitching staff is obviously a big challenge, but what about team chemistry? Because, you know, these are guys that – are, are coming together to play for a few months in the summer and some of them may have played together or maybe they played in travel ball but you're, you're talking about essentially a, a bunch of strangers kids that may not know each other having to come together i do believe we lost coach we're gonna get coach darian dukes the skipper of the acadiana cane cutters back on the line once again cane cutters are gearing up for their season, once again, they won the Texas Collegiate League Championship a year ago, and they're going to be opening up the season later this month on May the 30th at the Baton Rouge Rougarou. That'll be on a Tuesday later this month. Coach, I was asking you about team chemistry because so many of these kids don't know each other, and they're being thrown together. So what do you do as a veteran baseball coach You've been an assistant coach in this league before you became head coach. You've been a high school baseball coach in Texas and Louisiana. You're a former baseball player yourself. How do you develop chemistry quickly in a situation like this? Well, it kind of works for you because of the long bus rides. Um, you know, all of a sudden, even in, in pro baseball, there's a whole underworld outside. You know, once you, once you get – Let's just say the cane cutters, we get together, we practice a couple of times. Well, from here going out, that's where we're going to spend our summer. So after the first couple of bus rides, where they're sitting on the same bus as everybody else with the coaches, and, you know, we're traveling to, let's say, Seguin, Texas, you know, the chemistry kind of builds itself. But one of the major deals is, you know, these guys are coming from college, and, they're used to playing every day. So what we try to do is they play three days, set one. Um, you know, there's a lot of rotation in there that everybody gets um, 
you know, equal number of bats and stuff like that. The weather really kind of helps you in Lafayette because it gets so hot in the summer. Some of the, you know, you play three straight days in 99 degree heat. That off day is pretty nice. You know, you're talking about off days, and I, I look at your schedule and I look at the month of June. And I don't see a lot of white on the calendar, Coach, because I only count, to my accord, four days off for the entire month of June. And a lot of these days, you guys are playing at night, and then the next day you're on the road going to that team's place or going to someplace else. You know, the schedule having so few off days, I feel like that may be an advantage in a lot of ways, especially in this type of league. Is it? Can it be used as an advantage? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, playing every day, like I said, is they're riding on the bus, they're eating together, they're, they're hanging out in the hotel together, they're going out together, you know. Uh, it, it, it just bonds real quick. And, um, you know, naturally, you always, within everything, you always have disagreements and stuff like that. But these, most of these guys have one goal in mind is to play professional baseball. So once they figure out the biggest thing that you can do as a head coach is to get them in a routine. This is what you need to do. You know, you, you be on time, be on time, be on time. You know, we got BP at four thirty. Don't be late. You know, pitchers, get your work in, and that kind of builds unity on its own. You know, all the pitchers down in the outfield getting their work in. You know, they're they're hanging out together. I think they love to play hacky sack. I, well, I don't know. I tried to play it, but I'm too old and fat to do it. Uh, but they they bond themselves, and then all of a sudden you hit June and you play it every day, and then just the outside world becomes the outside world. And hey, let's go, Coach. Appreciate the time. Uh, once again, congratulations on winning the league championship a year ago. Best of luck this coming season. And uh, before I let you go, tell the folks where they can go to get more information and possibly get some tickets, get some season tickets for the upcoming cane cutter season? Um, you can go to our website, um, uh, cane cutters. Um, I think it's canecutters.com. I'm not sure. I'm not a computer person. But, you know, one of the things I want to put a plug in before we go is um, the host families. You know, when these kids come to Lafayette, you know, they're, they're not getting their own apartment. And, um, they, they stay with host families. And, you know, it's, a, it's an unreal experience for these people that, that house these kids. You know, um, we've got one that um, has been housing them since the team was in Lafayette. And she goes to weddings and everything like that. It is a neat experience to get to host a, fan, uh, a kid and you can go to our website, click on host families, and, you know, call Ty, our general manager, and they'll get back with you. And it'll be a neat experience. You get free tickets to the game, and it's just a good experience. Somebody who wants to try it. Well, Coach, appreciate your time, brother. We'll be in touch. Oh, man. Yeah, call me back. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Got to make sure to shout out the McNeese Cowgirls because they advanced to the conference tournament championship game for the fourth consecutive year. They defeated Southeastern Louisiana 6-2 last night in the semifinals. That was the biggest threat. The Lions were the team that beat them two out of three, remember, during the regular season. But McNeese took care of it. It was late Thursday night, like past 11 (laughs) o'clock because of the rain wrecking havoc on everything in southwest Louisiana. They finally got the game in after 11. Yeah, that's one of those when, um, you know, just transparency-wise, when I write my drill and stuff, I I wrote a question mark on that result so that I can go back and confirm that what I thought I saw at 11 o'clock was really what I saw. But for the record, by the way, now, McNeese, if you're McNeese, you go ahead and you you don't leave any doubt. You probably try and go ahead and win the whole thing. That's correct. But RPI up to 39, I, I think they're in. I think they're. I think they've done enough. Um, I think they're in as, as well. an at-large I agree. team. I agree. We'll I think. I think they're in as well. Yeah, it was 11-12 when the Cowgirls had a four-run six-inning that started with an RBI single by pinch hitter Kaylee Lopez to snap a two-two tie to put McNeese up three to two, and then they just kept pouring it on after that. With the win, McNeese matched its school record wins total and improves to 43 and 14 on the year. Southeastern, who was 46-13, and 13. the number two seed in the tournament, falls to the loser's bracket and will play at 130 on Friday against the winner of Lamar and Nichols. The winner of that contest will play the Cowgirls in the championship on Saturday at noon. So Manise gets a day off. Yep. Do you think you can get the poll question in in 15 seconds here? No. We'll have to tease that for the next hour. <laughs> That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two, we'll kick it off with James Yasko of the Lima Time Time podcast. Talking Astros, that's next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be alright this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two has arrived on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. That first hour was so jam-packed. Talking New Orleans Saints schedule. Raging Cajun softball team gutting out a win against ULM. McNeese gutting out a late-night win against Southeastern Louisiana, also in softball. That we didn't have time to unveil the poll question of the day. My apologies. 
But it is the poll question of the day. It is there for you to go vote on and to leave your comments. And guess what? We didn't get fancy with it today. We didn't get all highbrow complex. It's a simple yes or no type of question. Make it easy for you. Make it easy for you to transition to the weekend. Do you believe that the Raging Cajun softball team will host a regional? Yes or no? Right now, 72% of you say yes, 28% no. Keep those comments coming, like from Ralph. Yes, Friday musing. Saint schedule is weird. Probably will avoid New Iberia fast food. Fire Dennis Allen. Dust if you want. Good morning to Jessica Alba. Salty Steve says, absolutely. I see everything with vermilion colored glasses on Friday. Go Lady Cajuns. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming on the poll question of the day. But right now, it's time for us to talk Houston Astros baseball. The Strohs got themselves a series win this week. Yes, let's go. But they have weirdness with Michael Brantley. They have another player now injured in Dubon. Just a weird start to the season for the defending World Series champions. To break it all down for us is our friend from the Lima Time Time podcast and a Houston Chronicle contributor. James Yasko joins us here on RP3 and Company. James, good morning. How are you? I pulled a hamstring answering the phone, so I am now officially a Houston Astro. <laughs> Bud, every week it's like something new. Like yeah. Every week there's something else that's kind of new with this team. And look, the sky is not falling. It's just every time it feels like they take one step forward with the health of a player – someone else goes down and uh, you know it it will fix itself and it'll eventually just kind of you know work itself out but uh for being an Astros fan it's got to be kind of a bit of a roller coaster here to start the season yeah I mean you look at the way that they kind of trotted out Altuve you know a couple weeks ago and I look he's taking ground balls look he's he's hitting bombs in batting practice uh and then they disappeared Michael Brantley and no one knows what's going on so I laugh. I, I hope nothing's wrong, but so he he's coming back. He's in Sugarland. He's doing his rehab assignments. And all of a sudden, he's nowhere to be found and gets sent back to Houston because they shut him down from swinging the bat. And they say, well, he didn't have a setback with his injury, but then they sent him back to Houston. He was in Anaheim. Like, he was with the team in Anaheim, and then they were like, um, he he had to pay off, like, Russian mob gambling debts. Like, he, he's dead. Like, that, that's it. Like, so, RIP. be a nice little tribute video at Minute Maid Park here in June. I just... Because, and we, as of stands this morning, we still don't have an update on Michael Brantley. No, no there, there isn't one. Uh, he's, he's gone. He, he disappeared. Uh that's it like there, there's no there has never been a michael brantley here's never well there there hasn't been one on the field for the better part of the last year so that's for a year yeah so while the brantley while we have this weirdness with michael brantley going on a guy that has been able to step up in a big way for this team filling in for jose altuve also getting up to be the leadoff hitter after mccormick got hurt uh, obviously, Dubon had been playing exceptionally well, and then now he's hurt as well. 
Yeah, Dubon, Dubon was it, that that first few weeks. That was the unicorn uh, period of time for Mauricio Dubon. He was he was never he, he's he's not a three forty hitter and and never will be. That was just sort of a ride the lightning while you can. Um, that he's hurt is obviously not ideal, but I mean you've seen you. I mean you can see over the last couple of weeks he's he's sort of regressing to who Mauricio Dubon actually is, which means and 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 I, I say that. For all the crap that I give Mauricio Dubon, he's still one of the 750 best baseball players in the world. So he's better. He's better than me, uh, and he's better than any of us. And Mauricio Dubon would absolutely smoke us in any kind of baseball skills challenge. So let's let's just keep that in mind as we as we make fun of Mauricio Dubon. Uh, but obviously, him getting hurt, you know, this is a pretty thin team right now. I mean, you are just kind of hoping for production somewhere uh, in that lineup because it's certainly not coming from Jose Abreu. Um, and, and it's, you know, other than Jordan, everyone else on the team has joined Michael Brantley and not hitting. So let's talk about that because not only are you dealing with the injury bug of Altuve still out, McCullers still out, uh, you had McCormick be sidelined for a little while. Now you got Dubon, who was a big factor helping you. Now he's out and Alvarez has been your guy. But Tucker's been in a dip. Pena's been in a dip. Bregman has Bregman. been yet to kind of really ramp up. He had like one good week, and you're like, "Oh, Bregman's start to going to start breaking out." And like, no, he's he's still kind of struggling there. How much longer can the team be able to kind of struggle like this at the dish and still be able to kind of tread water? Well, I mean, they're they're sort of treading water now, and it's taking. Uh, some really good pitching performances along the way, you know, with with Garcia going down until 2025, probably. Um, th- that their their pitching is keeping they're they're, they're gonna they're gonna kind of live and die with with the pitching, uh, and Arcidi shut down, uh, and it, like Garcia's out. I mean, it's it, this is this is an all hands on deck effort every single night. Uh, because we're not in the we're not in the era as of this moment we're not in the Astros golden era of well somebody's going to win this game I don't know who it's going to be but you know someone's going to do it you know what's your bigger concern the weirdness with Michael Brantley and his injury or the fact that Abreu looks like as it stands right now like a terrible free agent signing well I mean. Brantley, like you said, Brantley hasn't hasn't played in in basically a year. Um, Jose, and so you know, I think whatever whatever you get from Michael Brantley this season is just kind of gravy. Abreu was signed to be a a, a front line starter. A, you know that that's your you let Yuli Gurriel uh, what, and what you probably could have got for for pennies on the dollar. You let Gurriel walk to Miami and you brought in Abreu and and I was I'm guilty of this too. I was super excited about that. Uh, and he, <laughs> I, I think he would even admit this that right now that dude sucks, and so I'm more worried about Abreu because he was supposed to be the guy that that just bolstered this already impressive lineup, and now it's it's right now it's it's Jordan and eight guys like that's 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 what the lineup is. With all that being said, weirdness with the Michael Brantley return, Dubon injury, the lineup not really hitting all that well, pitchers out. For the entire year, the our Astros' pet, our pet heads are falling off. Yeah, but yet the Astros still went and took two or three from the Angels 
handed Otani his first loss of the season, and took down the team we like to call around here, the little fighting MVPs, and took two or three. So even with everything going wrong for the Strohs with injuries and weirdness and slumps at the plate, they still found a way to beat a team in their division, not once but twice. And and that's that's where the experience over the last five years comes in comes in particularly handy. Uh, they know they they it's a team that knows how to win. You know that that never thinks that they're out of it. Um, this this year, you know, so 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 far has sort of been a no no lead is safe, and that can be either from the from the pitching staff or the, or the offense. Um, and, but that's, that's where that experience has, has proven to be pretty helpful where, you know, another team, and then let's, let's be completely honest. There aren't that many really good teams in baseball. Um, there's more really bad teams in baseball than there are really good teams. And so they're, they're sort of right now they're, they're being assisted by other teams shortcomings, uh, as, as much as their own injuries. We're talking with James Yasko. He's the co-host of the Lima Time and Time podcast. He's also a contributor for the Houston Chronicle, and he joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, you have to go to the south side and take on the Chicago White Sox, who are driving the struggle bus, one of many teams in the AL Central to drive the struggle bus. Abreu gets a chance to face his old team. I mean, the kind of the story would write itself, right, for him to kind of get out of this early season slump and play well. What do you expect to see from the Astros this weekend? I mean, you, what you want is you you beat the teams that you should. You know, the, it, it's great to you know that that one week where where everyone thought, okay, this this is who the Astros are. Where they took down the they swept the Braves, they beat took a series from the Blue Jays, and then and then you know shut out the Rays in back to back games. But these are the games that that a, a team that wants that is going to the playoffs absolutely has to win. Um, and so I I think they know that. I mean, they're 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 all. They've all been around a really long time. Um, they 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 need to win series like this, and it would be it would it would be great if Jose Abreu could could figure it out. Uh, I mean, he, right now he couldn't find the strike zone with a compass. Um, so no, it would be it would be great for for everybody to kind of just sort of take a breath with the off day yesterday and, and reset and realize like, okay, this you know it's it, it's 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 still early, but it's getting later in the season. We'll get you out of here with this, brother. Uh, I saw you uh, be very vocal on social media with your displeasure with your English Premier League soccer club. Where do we stand? Are they going to be dropped down? Are they going to be banished to, say, Finland? Uh, what's going on? <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I do know that that I have a uh, uh, a sports banquet tonight that I'm going to get home pretty late, but I'm still going to get up at – six o'clock tomorrow morning and, and watch and watch them play they they have to play the thir- the third third place team in the premier league tomorrow morning but it's at home Leeds united has a very has a very good home crowd that's that's a, that's very much of a home field advantage situation uh but as of right now if, if the season ended right now then yeah no they're they're playing cardiff on tuesdays on espn plus <laughs> so do they have to win tomorrow yeah yeah no they they so they, they yes Basically, uh, they don't have to, but you know, they had the worst possible weekend last weekend where they played like the best team in the world, Manchester City, and and then the teams that were below them improbably won both of their games. 
So whereas they were just sitting outside of the relegation zone, now they're firmly in it because they lost a predictable game, but Nottingham Forest and Everton beat teams that were far, that I would have thought were far better than them uh, fairly convincingly. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all bad. It's not great. It's all bad. So how many more games do they have to, 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 to secure a spot and not have to be demoted? So there's three games left. And oh, they have go. they have this of of all of their relegation rivals. There are uh, the, the, everyone has three games left, and so the the Leeds has the has the hardest game this weekend. And then you maybe maybe gets a little bit easier, but they have to go to West Ham next week, and then they have Tottenham Hotspur uh, in the last game of the season. And the hope is that all of those dudes just want to get out of there and go to Ibiza and party, and maybe Leeds can steal something from there. Well, but, but they're uh, up against it, like for real. Like, like it's 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 not great. It's not great. Oh, it's always great talking to you, though, my friend. I hope you enjoy your week. Enjoy your sports banquet tonight, and then uh, have fun rolling out of bed on like three and a half hours of sleep to watch your uh, English Premier League team try not to suck. I absolutely love that I have badgered you for like three years about talking soccer, and now we just spend a significant amount of time talking about Leeds United on 103.7 The Game. Back-to-back weeks, bud. You're welcome. Amazing. My my daughter's wearing the shirt. She's wearing the 103.7 The Game shirt that you sent me. (laughs) Thank you, brother. (laughs) This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You know, I've been selfish on this edition of RP3 and Company. It's been all about what I want to talk about. I've been hogging the microphone, conducting the interviews. Poor Delo's over there by himself, got nothing to do. Yesterday, he just had to push buttons, didn't get to interact as much with me because we were live on the Cajun Prairie at LSUE. I've been neglectful to the producer extraordinaire. That's about to change right here. Impromptu, by the way. Microphone is yours, my friend. What would you like to talk about right here on RP3 and Company while we have some time? I don't know. You want to continue on Leeds United and <laughs> kind of their path forward, kind of formationally how they're going to try to approach stealing a couple of points on the road in the next couple of weeks? Please no. No? Okay. No. That, that, was the, that was the extent of the soccer talk for today's show. Yeah. And for the week. Okay. So the mic wasn't open then. It was it was conditionally open. Um, <laughs> no, look, it's an interesting time in uh, in softball. And for the Cajuns, that's our poll question of the day. Do you think they will host a regional? Will is an important word there because should, will, those words change things. And they did drop to number 10 in the RPI last night, um, playing Yul Monroe, who was below the top 100. 
maybe somewhat impacted that. I think also Texas getting a win in the Big 12 tournament um, probably influenced the Longhorns jumping up there. But opportunity is there today because they're going to play Texas State, who's a top 40 RPI team, and you'll have a chance to, I would assume, get that spot back or at least close to it. We'll see what, again, we'll monitor kind of what Texas does and a couple other teams that are near you in the standings, um, including Tennessee and Alabama right below you as well as Northwestern ahead of you. So it's all an interesting time, but I just think, um, you know, I had a bit of a rant yesterday on footnotes about the the ranking process and the selection process in the committees in college baseball and softball, but um, I think it's going to be interesting. You mean you mean the therapy session that you and Kevin jointly yeah, you know, uh, I mean, did on the air? Yes. Look, we're given a platform. We use it sometimes. Um, I just think that this is a team that you, you know, it's just clear to me that they're one of the best 16 teams in the country, and I guess I don't know if the committee's going to see it that way or not, but it would be uh, it would be disappointing, I think, for them to not be recognized in that way. Um, I think far more important than the uh, pitchers receiving all Sunbelt honors or not is uh, the actual giving of a host site, and we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Do they deserve a host site? Yes. Will they get one? That's the great question mark for me. Because they're going to be ranked in the top 11 in RPI. And look, based on tradition, based on what the Raging Cajun softball program has accomplished year in, year out, they're a top 25 ranked team. They're always good. They always win more than 40 games. They're always a force. They're always going to defeat a top 25 opponent here and there. All that should lead you to this team is going to host a regional when the selection show happens on Sunday, right? But you just never do know. When people in a room, you never do know. You really don't. You just never really do know. So we'll see what happens. Now, if the Cajuns stumble in the semifinals tonight, it won't hurt their RPI, but it would open up the door for the committee to say, well, look, that team's not even good enough to beat a team in the semifinals of the conference tournament, which it's hosting. So why would we give it a regional if he can't even win its own conference tournament? That'll be the narrative, by the way. Right. That's no, yeah. And and so uh, also worth noting, Tennessee and Alabama are 11 and 12 in the RPI, one, one and two spots behind the Cajuns, and they are both still alive in the SEC tournament. Alabama's already moved on to the semifinals. Tennessee plays Florida today at 10 a.m. Uh, Central Time with the chance to advance and then play Alabama. So, like, there's a chance that Tennessee's going to add two or three more top 25 wins. Same thing with Alabama. So, I mean, there's a chance you drop down to 11. The good news is that if those teams play each other, I don't think both of them jump you. So, I think, really, if you, if you win out, if you take care of your business, I think 11 is your floor in the RPI. And again, that's that kind of magic number we've talked about. The team's never not hosted being top 11. So that's, there's just, again, there's a couple teams that like, like Clemson's Clemson's going to get a host site, right? Uh, That's, that's one team. I don't think there's any doubt. And if you compare the resumes, like Clemson has four top 25 wins versus the Cajuns two in RPI, not a significant difference there, but Clemson only has nine wins against the top 50 and the Cajuns have 15. So like there's stuff like that where it's it's kind of clear cut to me. I I don't I don't really see how you could uh, go the other way. And um, but like Clemson's going to get a regional without a doubt, and the Cajuns are probably it's going to be a conversation. Which I just think those types of things are interesting. Um, 
you know, when you look at the top, again, the top 15 teams, if you take UC, uh, Oklahoma and UCLA out, who I think everyone kind of agrees are the uh, top teams in the country, um, and you go past the top five, the only team outside of the top five that has more top 50 wins is Tennessee, LSU, and Northwestern, and Alabama. So I I don't know. It's just there's a lot of different data points you can use. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, we're going to see what happens on Sunday, and then I don't have to yell about it anymore. Well, actually, take that back. I probably have to yell about it a lot if, if the result goes the way that I don't think it should go. And uh, If they it's a don't dangerous... get a regional, they don't get awarded a regional on Sunday – there will be yelling by you on Monday morning. Yeah, no, and it's a, here's a dangerous combination, right? There's some things I feel passionately about. Like, we'll see. Look, in, in college football season is going to be uh, an interesting time for me on the show because I'll have to control my thoughts and, uh, and, and emotions um, because I feel strongly, especially about group of five teams that get disrespected. But so that's something I feel strongly about, like, even if it wasn't the Cajuns. But then you also have, like, a, a little bit of, of course, a little bit of personal bias in and being an alumni of the school. So you, you mix something I'm already passionate about dis- when I don't have a dog and you know a horse in the race, so I to see, speak. I see. And mm-hmm. then you put something I am passionate about because I went to the school of. You combine two things. Now you have the chance for me to be yelling. So we'll see. I fully expected. I, I am blindsided by what you did with this opportunity to, to seize the microphone here on RP3 and Company because I thought for sure I would get passion. I would get emotion. I would get fired well, again, up. Again, I'm, I'm trying not to waste about the XFL championship game on well, Saturday. That's going to be that's going to be an exhibition. Um, you know, you you got the defenders no who are nine and one, or bud, like no other. and they're taking on the Renegades who are four and six. And that's your championship. Wait, game. is that is that is that really the case? That's really the case. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, the Renegades. Um, that screams MAC championship to me. Where a team like uh, you know Toledo versus Miami of Ohio. There's a couple years in yeah. there where like Northern Illinois was dominant, and the rest of the MAC was just like five and seven, and they just had to feed somebody to them in the MAC championship. Shout game. out to the Huskies. Renegades, yes, uh, are four and six, and uh, they will be taking on. The nine in one defenders for the XFL 3.0 championship game Saturday night, which can be seen on ABC and ESPN Plus, by the way. Well, that's good to know. Um, yeah, look, I'll also I'll start really getting invested more now. I mean, I will be I'll be, I will be following the Breakers and you know giving some reports. Oh, gotta give guy. We we had we, we talked Breakers this week, but right, but the uh, only undefeated team in the USFL. I mean, and, did you know that? Look, you don't just stroll into Birmingham and beat the New Orleans Breakers. But uh, anyway, I'm really going to get invested when the merger happens, and I think it's going to be the greatest thing that's ever happened. Are we going to go USXFL? Are we going to go XUSFL? Are we going to go XUSFLFL? What role will The Rock have in this merger? Will he combine the two with his own hands? Will he combine the two leagues, just kind of smash the logos into each other? We'll have a big graphic. Can they somehow be incorporated into... A future a Fast and the Furious oh, yeah. spinoff movie. That could be. That could happen. Same. Although The Rock's no longer involved with Fast and Furious series. That's, that's right. I mean, he did have Hobbs and Shaw, so he's part of right. the universe. Right. No. Yeah. But then he he they had a little dispute with the contracts, yeah, and so yeah. that's so. Uh, yeah. From what I from what I know, that's why he's not in the movies anymore. Yeah, that's right. New Fast movie comes out though soon. I will be there. Um, I will be there too. If not be. opening day, then soon thereafter. I absolutely love them. They're ridiculous, but I absolutely adore them. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Should the Raging Cajuns, will the Raging Cajun softball team rather host a regional? 
Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. When we return here on RP3 and Company, and I really thought we'd, we'd dive deeper into the XFL championship game, but Dawson said no. He wanted to tackle something else. We'll switch gears to the NBA playoffs. One team staved off elimination. Now has, has all the momentum in their series. The other one, well, they got their faces crushed. We'll recap it for you next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We're having a pretty good day, right? You and I, right? You got your iced coffee. Once again, you had enough time this morning to get you an iced coffee, and that really kind of sets your day up for you, D'Lo. Correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to make the time myself, but I did it successfully. Sometimes there's that opportunity when you wake up to go, I don't have to get the coffee, but I, I made it a point that I wanted it. So that's I'm proud of myself for getting that done. Oh, God. Oh, let's get, let's, oh there it is. Come on. I know. I didn't I didn't move planets. I just got a nice coffee, but you know, it's worth worth mentioning. Now, as good as your day is, it's already started off very well. You got your nice iced coffee, correct? And you're gearing up for you're going to be covering the Raging Cajun baseball team tonight at the Teague, so that's always enjoyable, especially for a big key series for Matt Deggs' squad against Texas State. I'm going to tell you something right now. You're not having the day my daughter is going to have today. Shout out to HP1, Hattie Elise Parch. Okay. It is the end of the school year, right? So it's just the day to bring teacher appreciation gifts to the teachers because it's teacher appreciation week. But leap testing is in the rearview mirror. Field trip today, my friend. You remember how excited you were when you were a kid? You went on field trips. You remember that? Oh, just a little pep in your step that morning oh. while you're eating your frosted Pop Tart. Frosted, by the way, Kevin Foote. Oh, the little one. They're going to go to the movies, for one, and they get to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Now, they were supposed to go to Moncus Park, but the weather changed their plans. So, school field trip from Grand Coteau Elementary, shout out to the Blue Jays. They're going to be heading to the movies today, going to get snacks, and they're doing Chuck E. Cheese. That's how they're doing their field trip at Grand Coteau Elementary Shout out to St. Landry Parish. That's big time. That's big time. That is I, big time. I don't remember having any type of field trip that that was big time. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we had we had some good ones. I know we went and saw uh, one of the um, Earth movies, like, you know, the Earth documentaries about the, you know? Yes. And, and we did, there was the one about the oceans. We went and saw that, but I that was at nighttime. It was like a, it was like a field trip, but it was, you know, like a voluntary thing because we had to go after hours, but... You know, one thing that that does bring to mind that you mentioned is like at the end of the school year when things kind of slow down. When I was in high school, I took some AP classes. Of course um, you did. Of course well, you did. I, and I didn't even mean to say that because now you're going to say. But anyway, <laughs> look um, at the big brain on D-Lo. Yeah, the, the AP testing though takes place in like April, early early to mid or somewhere around that time frame where you still have a month or so of school afterwards. Okay. 
So the class was an AP class. So essentially, once we took the AP test, the class was over. So I took AP psychology one year. We watched movies every day in class and brought any types of snacks and anything we wanted to do. And we watched movies in that class the rest of the year. And it was fantastic. That sounds fantastic. You know what else is fantastic? My daughter's obviously going to win the day because she has field it's field trip day, and then she's going to go spend the night at her, her grandmother. So it's going to be awesome start to the weekend for the little one. I'm going to win the day as well because the wife is making crawfish etouffee. Oh yeah. Now where does this fit into the plan here, though? <laughs> is this is this an exception day or this is this will be our cheat day? Yeah. Uh, the the wife went and got the crawfish. Um, we got it from one of our spots that we like to get it there so in fresh, Bill Platt. So you go ahead and peel. Does she peel them fresh or she buys the tails? No, we, we we buy the tails right. from from a local local spot. And so my job this morning, with the you know getting other things ready for my wife, was making sure to take the crawfish out and have it start to thaw so she can make her delicious crawfish etouffee tonight. So uh, look. Kid's going to be winning. I'm going to be winning. And, of course, you know, shout out to the wife. You know so. who else? There's one more person who's having a pretty good morning. Oh, there's – well. well, Jason Tatum with 16 fourth-quarter points oh, last night. Oh. Huh? Jason Tatum is winning the morning, and he needed that because he was awful for three quarters. Just awful. He missed 14 of his first 15 shots. They were terrible early on in last night's – Eastern Conference semifinals, but when it mattered the most, and that's all that matters, we, we get caught up in percentages and all this other stuff. You know what matters in a playoff series? Winning the game. That's all that matters. There, oh yeah. Now, I, I don't know if you had something here, but there was a stretch in this game with the score. Uh, I think, and and Philadelphia makes a run, and and it's close. In the it's, third, they make they right, yeah. So we're in the third quarter here, and there's a stretch of like six or seven offensive possessions in a row where I'm sitting there going, "Does anybody want to win this game?" We're going oh. step back. So there was a sequence where we went maxi step back three brick miss, uh, Boston on the other end, Horford brick three miss. Harden, ISO, step back three, miss. And I'm going, somebody run some offense. The shooting and the offensive play sets in this playoffs, period, overall, has been struggle. Like, we've had some great individual performances, but even then, they're taking a lot of shots to get there. And there's been stretches in a lot of these games from the beginning on where you have just terrible offensive basketball. Well, and, and in the fourth, too, I mean, at the end, Boston kind of got into a rhythm and, and started to do some things offensively. But, like, even when they when Tatum got hot, I still don't think they were working to get great looks. He just hit a couple of tough shots. It was just this stretch Correct. where it's like nobody wants to – by the way, Philadelphia, you have the MVP. You think you want to get him a couple of touches? And, I mean, I know they went back to him later on, but there's this stretch of offense where Maxie and Harden are just going iso ball. But it was too little too late when they started trying to feed Embiid late. By that time, Boston had seized control. And, once again, we've talked about this with this series. And it's going now seven games, obviously, back to Boston. Harden. Philadelphia is only going to be able to go as far as Harden can help them. Embiid is going to get his. The big fella is still coming off the injury, but he's still going to get his. He gave you 26. I'm sorry, he gave you 26 points last night, 10 rebounds, three block shots. All right. So that's great. 
What did James Harden give you? 13 points on 4 of 16 shooting, and he was 0 for 6 from 3-point range. You're not going to win. Like, Harden is older and slower. And so you're at home. Philadelphia was absolutely electric for this because it looked like here's their chance to finally punch their ticket to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time since 2001. It's been that long, by the way. That's Allen Iverson era, stepping over Tyron Lue in the NBA Finals. It's been that long. And you blow it. Like, because James Harden was dreadful last night. Well, and now you have to go to Boston and try to, you know, pull off what's now, uh, you know, slightly improbable. And the, But the series has been so weird yeah, I would, because so then Philly again, just yeah, maybe, won in Boston. Right, well, and, and last night, to, to that point, as we as we move into the second game of the night here, Denver did me a favor. They said, hey, I know you're a morning producer. I know you want to try and get a nice coffee in the morning. We'll wrap this thing up with three, four minutes left in the second quarter, and you can get you can go to bed early. And I did. Uh, I actually stayed up into you know deep into the third quarter and thought maybe they'll make a run. It never happened. Dominant performance. That's how you close out a series. We talked about when Phoenix made the trade for Kevin Durant. We said they were going to be one of the favorites, but what were they going to do with their depth? And well, and and, and that was an issue. And again, I think it's it gets a little bit lost in the shuffle because Phoenix won the first two games that Chris Paul missed, but I th- I really think they missed a guy like Chris Paul. Late. But at the same token... The, the guy's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Right. Yeah, they missed him. But at the same token, they didn't do what they had to do defensively last night to win that game anyway. Um, and I just felt like, yeah, I just felt like there was these possessions offensively for Phoenix where they needed that calming presence, that point guard, to, to go ahead and set things up for Booker and Durant and... You know, Durant had a little stretch where he got hot there, but it didn't matter because they were down by 25 points. And he's been he's been okay. Yeah, he for hasn't the whole been playoffs. great. He has not been what his what you expect from him. Once again, coming off the injury like and he again, has. you felt like Denver would, or you felt like Phoenix rather behind the home crowd, even without Chris Paul, would would kind of muster up something and at least make this game competitive. But Denver no. just went in there and. Shut that idea down in a hurry. No DeAndre Aiden as well. He, yeah, he was no, out it, with bruised ribs right. or whatever. So the, they were the up against was. it, but you just figure at home they're going to put up a better fight than that. But we, we talked about their depth being an issue, and the team that had better depth won this series. Denver has better depth. Now, they have a all-great NBA player, despite what Mark Jackson says in The Big Fella. And Murray is far better. And, and once again, people forget... When Jamal got hurt, they looked like they were a team that was going to ascend and break through, what was that, last year? And then Murray gets injured, and he's out. So, got to give credit to Denver here. Their roster is overall better. Look, the Suns have Durant, but they didn't have Chris Paul. They missed DeAndre Aiden. And we talked about this. Devin Booker had a great, unbelievable hot start to the playoffs, right, where he was unstoppable. But, but, he got cold. 4-13, only gave him 12 points. When he didn't have Chris Paul and he didn't have DeAndre Aiden out there, and he didn't help his team. He had an off night and the Suns lost, and they got clobbered by 25, and Denver could have made it by 50 if they wanted to, because this was, what, up at 32, I do believe, at halftime? An unbelievable, like, 32 points at halftime, or I think it was 30 points. It's just phenomenal. It's it's an interesting 
offseason for Phoenix. Uh, just to quickly wrap this thought up, because Phoenix you is you got to build team. depth. How are you going to do? Oh, that? absolutely. And no, and look, and I, I get, uh, I know a lot of Pelicans fans aren't fans of Chris Paul. Um, my girlfriend's dad's not a fan of Chris Paul. That makes for some interesting conversations at Christmas dinner between me and him, because I just support Chris Paul, and I would like to see him get a ring here in the back half of his career. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, but. we'll see. And that, and how much of this Phoenix core is back? Obviously, Devin Booker and look, Durant's under contract, so you know you figure that's going to be. You have them, but we know they're not happy with DeAndre Ayton, even though they gave yeah, him the well, contract. Yeah, and, and they and so they could signed they move more of him. Could they move him and get pieces in return? And 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 so that's the thing. Like, but my point is that the core is still there for Phoenix to make this. This wasn't like an all. This wasn't like the old school rent a player. You know, no, at the no. trade You're deadline right. for right. a half a season. So the core is there if they want Kyrie to do it. Irving but, in Dallas. but they've got to. They've got to make some. You know, they've got to obviously improve the peripheral of that roster. And so that's going to be that's going to be something I'm interested to see what Phoenix looks like heading into next season. Nuggets. They move on to the Western Conference Finals. By the way. Jokic, a guy that Mark Jackson didn't believe deserved to be on his MVP ballot. Uh, uh, 32 points, 10 rebounds, 12 assists, 3 steals, and a block. He was 13 of 18 from the field, but that's not a guy. And credit Mark Jackson said, I, I screwed up. I, I I don't know why I left him off my ballot. Well, he's the only person that did. Yeah, That's probably someone who doesn't need to be voting on that award. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update our poll question of the day and wrap up our number two. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beat twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's sports Sports station. Can we give a big shout out to the Tennessee Titans PR department? Now, the idea I've been told by sources was something that's already been out there in the world of the TikTok where you make people that don't know sports try to guess logos, sources being Dawson Iserlo. That said, it was still brilliant. Oh, no. and it, I, I didn't mean to say – and it wasn't like they, they stole the exact idea. It, I just – I could have – I imagine that's where the inspiration came from. Um, but it was, it was magnificently executed, and I think uh, Broadway in Nashville is an excellent place to do this. Obviously, uh, Bourbon Street would have been a similar – type opportunity um but hey the saints got beat to it in, in this regard <laughs> it is just genius and people just looking at the logos and look we know logos because we're sports guys right and no and- i actually I, I don't mean to interrupt you but i need i'm going to do this exact thing with my sister because she is probably the least sports aware person in on planet earth um when the saints played in the super bowl she was in a room reading a book uh, even though we were from New Orleans and like the entire city was buzzing, like she does not care. 
So I'm going to show her these logos, and we'll, we'll see. I'm going to see. I mean, honestly, I might we might use it for this, you know, YouTube idea. We'll oh, see. I should use it with my daughter. Um, She'll just well, come up with all types. Well, of your names. daughter maybe has a reason. My my <laughs> sister's 27 years old, so she should probably know a few more of these. But you know, hey, hey, uh, not everybody's into it like we are. That's true. We need to address something. Um, I just got a uh, notification. Uh, tell Dawson that it's a cheat meal and not a cheat day. There is a difference. Sir. So we're going wedge salad for lunch is what I'm hearing. I had my kind bar for breakfast. The yogurt will be the mid-morning snack. A salad will be for lunch. And then there you go. That'll be that. Hey, quickly, though, all seriousness, uh, we have had a listener call in that said that Tell us that I-10 eastbound is closed at I-49. Not for sure why just yet. We'll get that update to you in hour number three. But if you're traveling, commuting this morning, I-10 eastbound is closed at the I-49 exchange. So try to redirect and take a different route. We'll get you an update that courtesy of our traffic guy, Steve Wiley, in hour number three. Hour number two is done. We'll kick off hour number three, Talking Cajuns with Corey Diaz. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It's 8.03, which means the final hour of RP3 and company has arrived. But don't be sad. Yeah, it's the final hour of today and the final hour of the week. But we're going to finish strong. You know we're going to deliver the goods and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report will join us half an hour from right now to break down the NBA playoffs. Denver Nuggets made themselves a statement as they crushed the faces of the Phoenix Suns. Boston staves off elimination forces a game seven. We'll break it all down with Dan coming up half an hour from right now. Also, don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Will the Louisiana Raging Cajun softball team host a regional? It's been a topic hotly debated here in Acadiana for the better part of the last week or so. Go vote on that. Simple yes or no poll question. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We're going to talk about that as well as Jerry Glasgow's team, Matt Diggs' baseball team gearing up for a key home series, and some departures on the football team, unexpectedly, with the man who covers the Louisiana Raging Cajuns for the Daily Advertiser. Our good friend Corey Diaz joins us now. Corey, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? RP3, what's up, dude? How are you? I am doing amazing. Nothing like trying to play softball and baseball in the middle of May in... Louisiana. It always works out well from Sulphur in Lake Charles all the way over to Lafayette. 
Yeah, I've checked two different weather apps this morning, and, and one told me that it's going to be raining all day long, and another one told me that there's like a 4% chance of rain. So <laughs> typical Louisiana weather for this time of year. <laughs> oh, yes, it's always a challenge. All right, let's start off with the uh, softball team. You were there at Lampson Park. They are able to gut out a win against ULM last night and move on to the semifinals. Uh, what stood out to you about what Jerry Glasgow's team was able to do against a team that they had swept a week earlier, but, you know, uh, ULM was somewhat game in that series and definitely was game last night. Yeah, you know, both both uh, Molly Fickner, uh, ULM's coach, and, you know, and Jerry, um, you know, last night after the game kind of talked about, you know, just that – the dynamic of closing the regular season out, you know, against a conference opponent and then your very next game, uh, you know, obviously in UL's case, right, you you play that same team. I mean, just that recency, um, it, it kind of helps the team that, you know, was on the losing end of the stick, you know, in that three-game series. Obviously, in, that, in this case, it would be ULM. So, you know, they – ULM had a had a far better, more nuanced, you know, approach of, uh, you know, how they wanted to approach the game last night in a in a single elimination, you know, type situation that could, you know, sometimes help. Um, and I think we kind of saw it a little bit. Uh, obviously, you know, I think most UL softball fans would say, well, we're much better than just two runs, you know, against ULM. Um, and and I would agree with that. Um, but you know, when you when you have a you know, a lineup of nine ladies who, you know, have seen, you know, the best of, of what UL has to offer in terms of pitching, you know. Um, you know, I think we saw – I think you saw a, a more confident ULM softball team last night. Um, but I, the biggest takeaway for me is, yeah, you know, Sam Landry had a, had a really good game uh, in the circle. Um, but I think last night was really a case of just how deep uh, you know, this this Raging Cajun softball team is, you know, Jordan Campbell and Stormy. Uh, you know, they come off the bench there in the fourth inning. Um, and, it, you know, the two biggest at-bats of the game, you know, and, and they were they spent the first three innings of the game, you know, uh, in the dugout. So, it, you know, and, and Jerry said coming into the final series, you know, with ULM uh, a couple weekends ago that, you know, he felt like he had, you know, a dozen to 13 ladies that he that truly felt like he could count on at any point in time in the game, you know, whether it's to make a big pitch or, or to make a big at-bat. And I think last night we kind of saw that. And so I, I anticipate, you know, there being a little more lineup changes tonight against Texas State. And, and you know, if, if they win tonight and get to the championship game, we might see a, a third different starting lineup, you know, for, for UL and the Sun Belt Championship. So, um, I just think that's a byproduct of, of how deep it is. And, and, you know, this time of year, RP3, especially in softball, um, you normally don't see this. So I think that's something that could help this team, uh, you know, potentially get to a super. Let's talk about their chances there. First of all, no matter what happens the rest of the weekend, they will be in a regional. They may not host, but even if they lose tonight, there, you believe that they're going to be in in a regional, correct? Oh yeah, hundred percent. They're they're locked into a regional for sure. All right. Now, do they need to win the conference tournament to have a chance at actually hosting a regional when the selections are made on Sunday? My gut tells me yes. 
my gut tells me that they have to um, win out in, in the conference tournament this weekend, win it. I don't think now they have, I think they have this in their back pocket. I don't think they need style points. I don't think that, you know, the committee wants to see them beat Texas State tonight by 10 runs. I don't think the committee wants to see them beat potentially Marshall or South Alabama in the championship game Saturday afternoon, you know, by 10 runs. I, I think they, you, you know, Jerry challenged this team, I think, uh, well enough in, in the non conference schedule. Um, I think it ended up being nine games against top 15 uh, opponents, which is a, a tremendous mark. That, that's, more, that's more games against top 15 opponents that I would say what will end up being almost half of the uh, you know, region host teams. Um, I think UL challenged themselves harder you know, in the non-conference schedule than those schools. Um, so I think they have to win the conference tournament. And I think they, they'll need, you know, you know, say a Clemson or, or a Washington, um, you know, lose out pretty quick in their conference tournaments too, just just to kind of seal the deal for them. And if they do host, I don't think they'll be any higher than a 14. I think that's kind of this team's ceiling in terms of if it gets a host, how high it'll be in terms of the seed. Um, I don't think they'll go higher. Now, you know, they're sitting nine in the RPI, I mean, that, which is a tremendous number. It's where you want to be, but <clears throat> I, I just don't think they – you know, those three one-run losses, you know, to Arkansas, UCLA, um, and, uh, you know, those those games, had they won those, and I, th- I think they would probably be a lot to host a regional right now. A lot of discussion has been made on whether or not they should, for their best purpose, their easiest path to possibly get to a Supers. Now, history tells us that if you want to get to ultimately Oklahoma City, you usually have to host and win your regional and then move on to the Supers, and you can do that on the road. But that's what history tells us. But you've seen this team. You've seen this team play. You've covered this team. Would that really matter to this year's Raging Cajun team? Because it sure does feel like they're built to win on the road anyway. So would it matter? Personally, Raymond, I don't think so. Um, Because the the scenario I've been playing – out in my head the last few weeks is this. Let's say they end up hosting and they're a 15 seed, right? Okay. Well, you know, the, the, you know, the bracket would line them up with the two seed, the overall two seed, right? Well, guess who that would be? UCLA. UCLA. Yeah. Who they, they, for all intents and purposes, had the Bruins on the ropes earlier this year in a tournament game in Florida. They, they have what it takes to beat UCLA. I, I don't think that – I don't think this team, you know, should be worried about that. And I don't think they are. You know, I think I, – I truthfully believe that, that Jerry and his group of ladies truly believe that they can beat anybody because, I mean, look, they've got wins over Florida, who's won national championships in the last two or three years. I mean, they, they beat really, really, really good teams. And – and like you said, they're, they they were built for this. Uh, I mean, obviously, he, he structured the roster to, to handle these types of challenges. Um, they've, got, they've got three legitimate pitchers. Most college softball teams don't have that. Uh, they have a, you know, they have 12 or 13 that, that they truly believe can go out there and, and win softball games for them. 
most college softball teams don't have that that type of confidence uh, in in that that number of players. I think they could get to a Superman, and I don't think and I don't think it matters whether they post whether they're having to go on the road in the first round. I don't think it matters. I think this team has has enough talent and, and the right players in the right spots on the field to to win. We're talking with Corey Diaz. He covers the Louisiana Raging Cajuns for the Daily Advertiser. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. Let's switch over to baseball. Matt Deggs's, uh team hosts Texas State. It's a big series for them. The Sunbelt Conference baseball standings, as we know, are jumbled. Coastal and Southern Miss are at the top. But then, really, there's not that much separation between the number three team and the number 11 team. Obviously, the top 10 make it for the conference tournament. Do you feel confident that Meg Deggs' team will make the conference tournament, and do you believe they could find themselves as one of the top six seeds for the conference tournament? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I, listen, it, it's it's going to be tough. I mean, let's, let's just call it what it is. I mean, their, their last two conference series – you know, of the weekend is against the right now the the third best team in the league. If we're looking at just the standings, right, um, the third best team in the league, and then you close out the regular season against the best team in the league. And, and I don't think that's without question. I think Southern Miss is the best team in this league. Um, you you somehow have to win. I think both of these series. I I, I would shudder to think that you know you you drop two against Texas State this weekend and you go to Hattiesburg and you drop two there. And so you go two and four over the last six games and feel great about your chances of even making this Sunbelt conference tournament. I don't think they obviously would want to, uh, you know, leave the, the fate, their fate in other teams' hands. Um, you know, you want to go out there and you want to perform, but also to RP three. And when you think about this, they're, they're playing their toughest stretch of conference games now it's kind of an indication of how poorly they played in, in conference up to this point, right? I mean, they played the weaker teams up to this point. They should be sitting better in the standings than what they are. They shouldn't be, you know, two games from two games out from not being in the conference tournament field. So uh, they're going to have to play much better, you know, the next two weekends. And, and like, and I mean, like, <laughs> way better, you know. So. Um, you know, and the the loss against Louisiana Tech the other night was was just. I mean, it just wasn't good. You know, it wasn't. And I think Deggs would agree with that. It wasn't. It wasn't their brand of baseball. It's not how they normally play. Um, this team, I would say, in the last month or so, has been kind of sporadic in, in just how it, it executes. Um, you know, they're they're gonna have to find something. They're gonna have to find something these next two weekends. Uh, I would say just to even get into the Sun Belt Conference tournament. With the expectations being what they were, with the lineup and the guys they had coming back, and I know pitching was still a question mark like it was last year, is it safe to say that this season has been a a slightly big disappointment for the Raging Cajun baseball team? Yeah, I mean, I don't don't think, you know, I don't even think, you need the word slightly there. I mean, I think it has been disappointing. I mean, look, there's there's two weekends left in the regular season, and they're sitting 79th in RPI. And, and you and I both know RP3. Let's say they do get in the, in the conference tournament, but they don't win it. They won't sniff an at-large bid. That's, that, that RPI is far too high um, to even get close. 
But obviously, having three games against Texas State, who's in the low 30s, I believe, in the RPI right now, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, and obviously going on the road and playing at Southern Miss would be a tremendous RPI boost. That's why I say, you know, if you can somehow sneak out a series win in Hattiesburg, you put yourself in a, in a much better spot. Um, but, but even then, they would yeah, have to make think, a run at the conference tournament. Right, yeah, they would have to make a. They'd have to probably get to championship Sunday. You know what I mean? And so it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, like and like we said, you know, they they played the 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 easier competition in the Sun Belt up to this point in the year, and they had. I don't think they performed up to their their expectation and what they should expect out of these players. And so yeah, I mean, I would say up to this point through fifty games, right? I mean, I think it has been a disappointing year so far because again you had Rockefeller coming back you had Kyle DeBarge I know that and I know there's been some injuries but and, and the pitching staff too right had all those question marks coming in and you were basically ushering in an entirely new you know uh, starting rotation and, and what could you actually expect in a situation like that right but you know with this with this baseball program's pedigree man i mean i, I think you expect to to go out there and, and and to at least at this point with two weekends left in the regular season you know be really close to that to at least that bubble line of getting an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament and they're just not there right now all right but i gotta wrap it up dawson's trying to get me to get off the air he doesn't like you no, i'm just joking but i do have <laughs> <laughs> i do have one more quick question two huge departures for the raging cajun football team one entered the transfer portal. Now he's headed to Alabama. The other one, who we all expected was going to be a leader of the defense and was going to be the guy that got everyone in position and was going to be like a team captain, has decided to leave as a grad transfer. How does Coach Des and his staff absorb those two losses at the beginning of the summer? Yeah, man. I, look, if I was Des and his staff, I'd be—I certainly would be combing through that portal. Um, and I can't remember the kid's name off the top of my head, but there was a there's a kid that played at Houston last year, and he plays plays the star position for Houston that hit the portal the other day. I mean, and he's he looks exactly the same as Cam Podesclo. So I'm like, I don't know. I might want to get that kid a call. I don't know, but yeah, look, it's tough. I mean, look, they you know they've got some guys because they they play so many right. There's guys that's got some snaps. You know, Patrick Mensa. You know, he he's played the star position before. He I mean, obviously he's the guy that I would think just. You know, he just slides up into that spot where Cam was. Um, but it, but when you talk about experience, right, I mean, that that certainly matters. And you've lost Trey Amos and you've lost Podesclo, the two guys that had significant playing time and starts uh, for you over the last few years. I mean, those are going to be big losses. Um, I, but right now, man, you just you just hope that the experience that some of these younger guys like a Caleb Anderson, right, uh, at corner, you know, you hope the experience that they've gotten up to this point in their careers has has readied them to the point to where you feel like you can at least rely on them if you can't really find the right fit out of the portal, right? So um, it, it hurts. Uh, I don't think it hurts as much as um, – you know, it would if you haven't played and, and rotated a lot of those guys in there uh, like they have been. Um, but the experience factor does does matter. And, and so in terms of that, it, it, those are two pretty big losses. Corey, appreciate your time. As always, we went long, brother, but it was worth it. You delivered, as always, my friend. Keep up the tremendous work that you're doing for the Daily Advertiser, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. Appreciate you, buddy. Y'all take care. 
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We will update the poll question of the day here shortly. But I got to address something. I need to ask everyone to do something for me. To all the members of Houdat Nation, to all of you that love the black and gold, please, for the love of baby Jesus, do not do the schedule prediction thing. Please, let's not do that. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what injuries are going to take place. Once again, the NFL is all about parity. Half the teams that were in the playoffs last year won't be in it next year. So don't go in there and say, well, their schedule came out yesterday, RP3. They're going to be, they're going to win 10 games. They're going to win 12. They're going to go 13 and 4 or whatever. Don't do that. Don't be silly. Come on. You can't predict these things. Don't do your predictions based on schedules. This is not what we do here in RP3 and company. You know what we don't do? Two things that are cardinal sins for this show. Who's the greatest of all time conversations? Those are stupid. Low-hanging fruit. And we don't do, hey, Let's predict how many games the team will win based on what the schedule looks like. You have to play the games. It's a team sport. Injuries happen. Dysfunction happens. And sometimes teams are better. Players all of a sudden break out and have breakout seasons that you weren't expecting. Other times teams regress for no good reason. Maybe it's a relationship between the coach and the quarterback that dissolves or they're fighting over a contract or someone decides to just quit on the team, whatever it may be. You have no idea what's going to happen with all the other teams. You can hope. You can look at the Saints roster and go, hey, you know what? They have enough talent and experience. They could maybe be a 10-win team. You could do that. You could do that. But sitting there going through the schedule and going, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. That is idiotic. It's a waste of time. Don't do it. Don't do it. Sorry, I got a little, I got a little ranty there. Yeah, no, and, and I think at the end there, that's the key there. I think that's that's the stuff that's silly is like going win, loss, win, 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 loss, loss, win. Well, they're going to beat Atlanta in week seven on the road, but they, they won't beat them at home at the end of the year But uh, because, you know, they'll be a big – pass interference call late in that one and then I think uh offensively they're gonna run the ball well in week five early but then there's gonna like you know it's just so funny like we're sitting here predicting out like we don't even know who Atlanta's quarterback's gonna be we we're talking no about idea. whether they're gonna beat them in week nine or not 
You have no idea who's going to be healthy. You have no idea who's going to be good. You have a rough estimate. You know, you have you have this you know thought. You have a guess. Hey, you know what? Jacksonville was good last year. They they turned it around. They should be ascending this year. But that doesn't mean that they will. It doesn't mean that they will. We expect Minnesota to finally start taking a step back, but I feel like we've been having that conversation for four seasons. Will they? Maybe so, maybe not. The NFC North looks wide open. Who says Minnesota couldn't win that division? So pump the brakes when it comes to predicting the wins and the losses on the schedule. Also, remember, if you are going to go down that path, which you shouldn't because it's idiotic, Always remember that the Saints struggle against rookie starting quarterbacks. Just remember, that's been a thing. So, you better hope that Andy Dalton starts in week two for the Panthers for that Monday night football game. Got to take a timeout. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we'll talk NBA playoffs with the man who covers the association for Bleacher Report, Dan Favalli. He'll join us next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, we have at least one of our teams in the conference finals after the Nuggets destroyed the Phoenix Suns last night to punch their ticket to the Western Conference Finals. Everyone else still on tap. Who will advance what has stood out in these playoffs? Overall, it's been kind of a crazy NBA playoffs, that's for sure, as we have two teams that played in the playing tournament on the brink of advancing to the conference finals. To break it all down for us is our old friend, from the Bleacher Report, Dan Favalli joins us now. Dan, good morning to you, brother. How ha- how have you been, my friend? I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So let's start off with the the nightcap. Uh, first of all, I want to personally thank the Denver Nuggets for going ahead and getting that game out of the way early so I could go to bed and get the proper amount of sleep for waking up at 4.30 to prepare for this show. The Nuggets, obviously, they have one of the best players in the league. And Jamal Murray is healthy and looks like he is a very good player. But the thing that stood out to me, Dan, was Denver's depth and the fact that they got quality guys, their third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh option out there, I think that played a huge role in this series against Phoenix. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, they were able to toggle a bunch of different lineups, whether it was drawing Bruce Brown in there when they needed defense and ball handling, um, leading on Christian Brown to just give them some extra size and, and toughness on the wings defensively. Aaron Gordon did a great job uh, on Kevin Durant, even on Devin Booker all series. Some really great moments from KCP at both ends. And it allowed them to navigate. You know, I think they were pretty consistent and even keeled when you look at their defensive performances. But you had different players who were up and down on offense all season, Jamal Murray being one of them. Michael Porter Jr. had games where he wasn't making shots. And for the most part, with the exception of um, you know the two losses that they actually suffered, you know, they were able to just come up with enough from their 
supporting cast. And I think it showed you, you know, depth does shrink in the playoffs. But if you can go seven, um, sometimes eight reliable guys deep, depending on how you feel about Jeff Green, that ends up being a, a pretty big deal. And I think the Nuggets have done a much better job, not just of maximizing the Jokic minutes, but maximizing the non-Jokic minutes, which is something they have struggled with over the past few years. Denver advances on. Do you believe that they are the best team remaining left standing in these playoffs? I feel like I have to for the agenda since they were my preseason title pick. <laughs> uh, I, I do actually believe it, though. And I think that they've been the team that has most consistently met expectations in the playoffs. And, I mean, you know, you look at it, just Milwaukee fading out in the first round. Boston kind of looking iffy against Philly, but Philly looking kind of iffy against Boston. Um, Golden State looking shaky. The Lakers being good but not great and kind of ugly and banged up, but they're still winning. Um, there are questions about every single team that are left in the playoffs. This is the most wide-open title race that I could remember, but I think the Nuggets are the closest we get uh, to a, a dominant team that is currently left in the playoffs. Let's talk a little bit about the team they just eliminated. The Phoenix swings for the fences, Right. They go get Kevin Durant, but they have to give up a lot to get him. And their depth played a huge role. And Durant is great. And him and Booker are going to be great together. But this team has some serious offseason questions, right? DeAndre Aiden, is he still going to be part of what they want to do? Uh, is Chris Paul going to come back? How are they going to add depth with the amount of salaries they have? Uh, is this going to be a fascinating offseason and a critical one for Phoenix? Yeah, it absolutely has to be. Um, you know, they're in this weird situation where I do think it takes you some time to flesh out the rest of your roster after making a major trade that requires some consolidation. But they also have more urgency than a, a Cleveland Cavaliers team that got a younger Donovan Mitchell. Kevin Durant was, was 34. You look at Chris Paul's age. Um, and so you lead into this offseason, they're very limited in assets. So they're probably not going to make a trade um, that swings their fortunes unless there's a team that's in love with DeAndre Ayton, and so you do have to kind of look at uh, all scenarios there. You have to hit a home run with your mini-mid-level and also your your minimum signings, and then do you consider, is it going to take waving and stretching Chris Paul? Are you able to find a taker for him so that you can then open up other scenarios where maybe there is a team um, that wants DeAndre Ayton and is willing to sign and trade you a free agent or um, perhaps another player that doesn't necessarily fit the timeline of their team or has a contract that's up? sooner uh, they have to look at everything and I, I think when you go through this roster there are two players that you can count on being in phoenix next year and that's kevin uh kevin durant and devin booker and and that's really it i don't even think at this point knowing there's a new owner knowing how the season ended i don't even think you could bet on head coach monty williams or or even you know team president james jones being back let's stay in the western conference warriors save off elimination but now the series goes back to L.A. The Lakers, look, uh, they got the old man out there, and they got Anthony Davis, who is doing his classic great dominant performance one game. The next game, he's average. Yet the Lakers, who just a few months ago we didn't even think would make it into the playoffs, here they are one win away from the Western Conference Finals. Do you believe the Lakers are going to eliminate the defending champs? I honestly don't know. I mean, it was easier to say they would when they were up 3-1, but knowing Anthony Davis, while he's supposed to play in game six, is is banged up right now, and there's something just off about LeBron James. He's not hunting mismatches as much. He doesn't 
he's definitely picking and choosing his spots more. I guess it has to do with that that foot injury. I almost kind of want to say I feel like the Golden State Warriors are going to come back and, and take this series. But I do think you have to give credit uh, to the Lakers' defense overall, and that they've been able to to pull some of the right strings throughout this series and um, throughout, you know, towards the latter end of the season. I think what the difference is going to be is you look at Golden State's supporting cast around Curry. Are they going to get consistent enough offensive and shooting performances from a Clay Thompson or Jordan Poole or an Andrew Wiggins? And on the Lakers end, are they going to be able to generate enough buckets in the half court when things slow down because that's been their their weakness in the postseason. And so those are sort of the, the two inflection points for each team that I'm looking looking at. So it sounds like you like Golden State. I feel like I want to say I like Golden State, but the math is telling me I shouldn't. But yeah, I like Golden State. We're talking with Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report. He covers the NBA. We're talking the playoffs. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's switch over to the East. Knicks, Heat, uh, New York responded as they should have in Game 5 there at the Garden. But it sure does feel like Miami, a team that played average most of the season, gets into the play-in tournament, loses to Atlanta to start off with, loses Tyler Hero, loses Oladipo, yet they've knocked off the one seed and now they're one win away from advancing back to the Eastern Conference Finals. How do you think this finishes off this weekend? Uh, I feel like whether it's, it's in Game 6 or if it takes a Game 7, I just does feel like Miami series. Um, they have more figured out uh, at both ends of the floor, quite frankly, than the Knicks. The points-off turnover battle is just absolutely ridiculous. They've won it by like almost triple um, the points that the Knicks have because they don't generate a ton of turnovers. Uh, we, I know a lot of people have talked about how the Heat have been unsustainably hot as a shooting team. They actually have not been hitting their threes in this series, and they're still finding ways to win. And I think that the fact that it took the Knicks playing Jalen Brunson and Quentin Grimes 48 minutes to really pull out that Game 5 victory ultimately says a lot. When you force them to slow things down, that's when it sort of shines through that they still need that best player in a playoff series type of star on the team where maybe Jalen Brunson can be one for quarters or perhaps one game at a time, but they don't have their Jimmy Butler. Julius Randle is certainly not that guy. And just given their limitations on offense uh, when it comes to shooting, when it comes to getting all the way to the basket, if Miami's going to be in zone, um, when it comes to them just losing where it feels like every single battle on the margins, I would be fairly shocked if they were able to to come back and and take this series. So I think pretty clearly, again, regardless of when it happens, I just feel like Miami's going to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals. Jimmy Butler is rarely ever dis- uh, discussed as a top 10 or even top 15 player in the league, except for when it comes postseason time. And then we talk about him being possibly the best player on the court. Who's a good comp for Jimmy? Uh, I honestly have no idea. I don't think I've ever seen someone quite flip a switch like he does in the playoff or all of a sudden, not so much this series, but someone who doesn't take or make a lot of threes during the regular season or shoot all that well on jumpers completely flips the script um, when you get to the postseason. There's a little bit of um, sort of a middle career Kawhi to what he does just because oh, okay. he can carry his team at both ends of the floor. And you can tell that, yeah, he might be saving something during the regular season, definitely plays more than even Kawhi ever did at his peak. But he kind of just knows when he needs to, to turn it on and when he needs to just sort of flip 
flip that switch and become something different, become not just more aggressive, but like just carry himself a, a little bit differently. And so that might be the best comp for him is thinking about like maybe even that Toronto season Kawhi, where he kind of coasts through the regular season um, and then you just get to the playoffs. And that's someone who spearheads this, this championship run. Only we've been lucky enough to watch Butler sort of do this now for a few years in Miami. We'll get you out of here with this Eastern Conference semifinals between the Celtics and the 76ers is now tied up three games apiece. There will be a game seven back in Boston. I feel like Boston should win this, but I've seen the Celtics play with their food in the back end of the regular season and then throughout the entire postseason. And Philly's already won a game in Boston. So what do you think is going to go down this weekend in game seven? Who's going to advance and face Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals? I think Boston just has more cards to play still. There's definitely a variance in their performance, as as you alluded to. If they're not hitting their jumpers, they can go through cold spells, or there's a lot of your turn, my turn stuff on offense, and the ball will stick. Uh, but they just have so much sort of defensive firepower and, and different lineups to play, where if RW3 doesn't look that good, um, they can go a little bit smaller. Al Horford's not hitting shots, but I think he's done, um, at least when he's gone one-on-one with Joel Embiid, like, yeah, sometimes Embiid is hitting tough shots, but uh, he's been able to stick with him, and he's been able to hold up on, on a lot of the switches. And then you just sort of look at um, what Boston did do in Game 6, which was they, they were more aggressive going at Embiid and Harden and trying to force everyone else to beat them. And you sort of just combine that with the fact that as good as James Harden has been in certain games, and he has two game winners in this series, there's a variance in his performance from game to game, and we just saw it uh, in Game 6 where he just wasn't as much of a, a scorer, still a fantastic passer. And I think there are more weak spots for Boston to prod at defensively. We saw them really go after Tyrese Maxey, but even more so James Harden at points in, in Game 6. And so, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. The Celtics are not a team, um, at least in terms of being you know this top-end title contender that you trust all that much relative to what they're supposed to be. But I do think that this is a series they should still win. Just like I said, they, they have more cards to play against the Sixers than Philly does against Boston. Dan, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work that you're doing for the Bleacher Report. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. Most definitely. Thanks so much. Take care. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team, I got one college team, I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for, that's who I support, period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned, that's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Oh, what a Friday edition of RP3 and Company, man. We covered it all. Saints' schedule was released. NBA playoffs. Raging Cajun softball team. Raging Cajun baseball. McNeese softball. We touched on it all this morning. Houston Astros and, of course, Acadiana Cane Cutters. I want to take a moment to thank all of our guests for swinging by. Darian Dukes, 
entering his third season as the Acadiana King Cutters skipper. They're coming off winning the TCL last year. He joined us. James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast and Houston Chronicle. Discussed Houston Astros and English Premier League soccer. That's becoming a new thing. Corey Diaz swung by from the Daily Advertiser, talking all things Raging Cajun, softball, baseball, and football related. And, of course, Dan Favali, who just joined us from Bleacher Report to talk NBA playoffs. I want to thank them for that. Poll question of the day. We asked you, do you believe that the Louisiana Raging Cajun softball team will, in fact, host a regional once those things are decided come Sunday? 67% of you say yes. 33% say no. JPK, the OD, says, of course, bring it on. Come get you a healthy dose of Raging Cajun butt whipping. The man went with Raging Cajun butt whipping in the comment section this morning. I'm here for it. I want to thank all of you who voted on the poll question of the day. And, of course, all of you who also left your comments Thank you once again for that. And thank you for trying to keep it clean. You know, not getting crazy with it. Don't need that, right? Don't need that. No one wants to see that on a Friday when you're getting ready for the weekend. Also, reminder, don't forget. Got a new road tripping with RP3 up. It's on our YouTube channel. You can go check that out at The Game Louisiana. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's all about... Your boy in the Festival 5K with a special appearance from HP1, Hattie Elise Parch, as my coach slash trainer. And, man, uh, she was hard on me. Not going to lie to you. Not going to lie to you. Make sure to go check that out. Also, Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live once again from Lampson Park, just like they did yesterday. Once again, Lampson Park, of course, is the home of the Sunbelt Conference softball tournament, so make sure to tune in for that. Matt and James will be chopping up with Commissioner Keith Gill, as well as our good friend Corey Diaz. Man's doing double duty on the game today. He's a pro's pro, Dawson. Take notes. Take notes. Being a pro's pro. That's going to do it for us today and for the week. But not to worry. We'll be back on Monday, 6 to 9. But until then, we'll also just just want to in. We'll also here have, he is injecting himself into the conversation. I in just the had final to throw minute. it in there, and we had we had thirty extra seconds. So why not? Um, me, me, guys will have softball covered, and I'll be over at baseball, so you get updates from a big baseball series against Texas State, and have a uh, video recap tomorrow morning as well. Oh, there we go, there we go. Thank you, Dawson. Thank you, thank you. For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow, I'm Raymond Parsh, the third better known as RP3. We'll do it all again on Monday, six to nine. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.